millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to the Big Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, Fine Gael is down in the latest opinion poll. Satisfaction with Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, is slipping a little also, or maybe a lot, with those in his own parliamentary party, if the reports are to be believed. Yet, he is overseeing one of the most successful economies in the world right now. What gives? To take a snapshot in time uh, of the state of politics in the country right now, I'm joined by Irish Examiner political editor Elaine Lachlan. Elaine, you're very welcome. Elaine, we had a poll in the Irish Times this week. Both Fine Gael and Sinn Féin are down. Now, some believe that these two entities are eager to create some kind of binary choice for voters. But uh, that doesn't appear to be how it's working out, certainly according to this poll. Yeah, certainly, if you look at those two parties, they're both down four points, which is, you know, not within the margin of error. So we do know that there was certainly some decrease. And as you said, both are trying to differentiate themselves from each other as the the two choices that voters will have come election time. Now, it's interesting that Fine Gael are down especially after the week that Leo Varadkar had. That week started, of course, with a number of very interesting reports in the Sunday newspapers. Some claimed that perhaps they were orchestrated, the fact that they turned up in three separate newspapers, very similar tone, saying that people within Fine Gael are becoming a bit frustrated, shall we say, with Leo Varadkar and the fact that he hasn't given them the boost in the polls that they'd been hoping for. They're languishing and, as we've seen in the, in the most recent poll, going down. So really a lot of pressure on, on Fine Gael and especially Leo Varadkar this week. So I think it's something that's going to rumble on. But Sinn Féin, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get back to Fine Gael, uh, in this podcast, but Sinn Féin, I think, are interesting for another reason insofar as We've seen in recent months a dilution of policies, um, whether it comes to PESCO or security matters um, and other which other issues that would have been maybe seen as red line for the party when it comes to their policy, that those are slightly, uh, as I said, being diluted and the Sinn Féin are coming more and more towards the centre as we come closer to a general election. So the thing with that is, of course, by coming up with more middle ground policies, you might attract more middle ground voters, perhaps take them from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, But you also risk alienating perhaps some of your core supporters uh, who want to vote for Sinn Féin and have previously voted for Sinn Féin on perhaps more of the hardline stances they've taken in, in previous years and down the years, in fact. Um, so it'll be a balancing act for Sinn Féin to get it right they probably do need to come closer to the centre to attract a wider audience and a wider voter base. But then how far do you go without uh, turning off what is your core support and your traditional support? So I think that that uh, decrease in the polls, doubt now it has to be said, 
they're still at 31 percent they're a good bit ahead of the other two parties um but it's one to watch and i think uh, it may be a blip in this particular poll it may write itself but if it becomes a trend i think that'll be something that mary lou mcdonald will have to become a bit worried about and concerned about yeah, we'll come back to Sinn Féin in a minute, but as you mentioned Fine Gael, and that was interesting last Sunday, Elaine, three separate newspapers, pieces of a very similar tone, uh, possibly, if not probably, all sourced from a small number of individual sources uh, who were the same across the three papers. But normally when you see something like that, you know, it, it sort of hints at a general dissatisfaction. It is also generally in response to um, when things are not going well for the party. Now, people outside the country will look in and say, right, I see Fine Gael, for instance, are not exactly climbing up the polls, yet the economy would appear to be going through the roof. And this is after the party have been in power for 12 years. So it's an unusual one like that. Is there one element of it? eating bread soon forgotten in that perhaps people are not giving them credit for the economy. But the other element, of course, is um, who's benefiting from that economy and they would already be in the pocket, perhaps, of Fine Gael and it's the other voters that they, they're um, a bit beyond their reach at the moment. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting element um, and I think it's something that Minister Simon Coveney picked up on in a recent interview with their own paper. Uh, he mentioned the fact that when you go abroad, uh, other countries view Ireland very differently than we ourselves uh, see things and the way the economy is going. You know, we've we've record levels of unemployment, um, but he, he says that it's something that Fine Gael will have to work on, especially in the, the run up to the general election around that satisfaction element within the general population. Uh, it do, When you look at the stats and the figures on how our economy is going, as I said, people employed, um, that that's not may be reflected in how people view our country or how people feel at the moment. And I think there is a bit of a despondency out there. Um, a few TDs I was even talking to this week are kind of saying that, yes, there's grumblings on the ground, people, you know, concerned about the cost of living crisis and inflation. Um, and obviously we've had another ECB rate hike this week. Um, but at the same time, it's very low level at the moment. It's People are not as exercised as they were perhaps with water charges and other issues that have cropped up in the previous 10 years where we saw you know, vast numbers of people out in the streets, whether it was in front of Leinster House or even at local level. Um, so it's, it's a difficult one uh, to even ascertain the level of disquiet or despondency that's out there with the government um, when you kind of do have this electorate that in some ways are, I don't want to say placid, but they're certainly not as exercised as we've seen in, in previous years over other issues. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I suppose the flip side of um, the whole issue as to whether or not Fine Gael get the credit they deserve in that respect is that equally they have been in power for 12 years <laughs> in, in a different sense, and that is in terms of how housing policy and the actual uh, crisis around housing has got over those years. And that would seem to be the one big albatross around their neck. And I just wonder, Elaine, what the feeling is in around Leinster House. Is that problem currently so intractable that it's unlikely, irrespective of whether 
things take off to the extent that they can in terms of construction and what have you, whether or not um, the government parties can get any credit for making inroads in the problem by the time of the next election. Well, I think from a Fianna Fáil point of view, they, are, they will be saying that we are beginning to turn the corner on uh, the housing crisis. And I think they will be hoping that they can keep both Dar O'Brien in position and this coalition in position for as long as possible. Now, we do need a general election uh, by March 2025. So I suppose if it was to go full term, there's a fair bit of wiggle room there to get construction going, get housing going and hopefully be able to go to the electorate saying we've reduced the number of homelessness by X percent or we've made housing more affordable to X amount of people. But I think a lot of uh, politicians around Leinster House would view housing now in the same way as we viewed health for many, many years. It's just an ongoing crisis uh, that is too big nearly to solve. Um, and I think it was interesting. It's it's almost, or it's probably even over a year now at this stage since Mary Lou MacDonald indicated that she, if she was in government, it would take her party two terms to solve the housing crisis. So even Sinn Féin, who've been really vocal on this issue for many, many years now, are conceding that it wouldn't be a short term uh, issue for them either and that they would need two terms in government to turn turn the boat around on this one too um, but as I said I think it's something that people are resigned to now the fact that we do have massive numbers of people either unable to get a house locked into really high rents or homeless and it's it's a really long-term issue. Yeah and it's interesting you mentioned health there Elaine because as you say that for a long time was that sort of what you might call intractable problem. But what seemed to emerge in relation to that issue over a whole series of general elections is notwithstanding opinion polls and a general sense that there were elements of the health service that were in pretty bad shape, people did not seem to vote on the basis of their concerns around health. I would suspect, and may be very wrong, whether the difference with housing is that they will, and you have in terms of housing, you've a cohort of about two thirds, I think, of households are, are homeowners or are, are, are else uh, in social housing. But even within that cohort, you would have, for instance, people whose own kids have grown up and they're having difficulty and all that. And they see it now. So I just wonder whether the electorate will have a different attitude to housing than this appear to have had to health. They may do, but at the same time, go back to what I just said there, where's the alternative? Uh, you know, if Sinn Féin are saying that it'll take them two terms uh, to solve the housing crisis, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have had their go at it now and have failed uh, to date anyway, whether they can do anything in the next year and a half or however long we have till the general election remains to be seen. But no one is really putting forward an alternative that will address this crisis, at least in the short term. Um, so I think if you're a voter going out there looking for a party that's going to solve the issue of homelessness, housing uh, within the next five years, you're not going to find that. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think Sinn Féin will want to um, go to the polls using their buzzword that they've had for a long time now, and that's change. Um, and a, a bit like to go back to maybe the Obama campaign that 
it can mean <laughs> a lot of things to uh, many people yeah. and your interpretation of change may be very different from mine as well Mick and it, it may actually work for them yeah yeah um, yeah it will be interesting be very interesting before we leave Finn Gael Leo Faradkar view from the inside in there Elaine I mean I think there's a general view uh, the reason Fine Gael elected him was they viewed him as somebody who'd be able to reach beyond the traditional Fine Gael heartlands to voters he doesn't seem to have done that he's having a second bite of the cherry now how's he perceived as doing this time around? Well, he came in in 2017, if you remember, and did do very well for the party at the start. There was a there was a bump there for almost two years for Fine Gael and, and um, I suppose people in the party were very happy with that, that they were going up in the polls. But the real poll, uh, the general election, local elections and by-elections, he's effectively failed in, uh, lost numerous by-elections now under his leadership. It was a very poor general election in 2020. So he doesn't have a track record when it comes to actually winning seats, which is key for any political party. And obviously that honeymoon period or extended honeymoon period after he came into power is long gone by now. And we see, uh, as I said in the latest poll, Fine Gael are down to 18%. Um, it's not somewhere where Fine Gael want to be, Leo Varadkar wants to be. And if that were to occur uh, on the day of a general election, I think you'd be seeing uh, Leo Varadkar having to step down fairly lively after that main poll, because I don't think that's something that the party could tolerate if they lost that many seats in the next general election. So there will be a lot of pressure on him. And of course, well, we anticipate that there'll be local and European elections next year before we have a general election. And if that is the case, if we don't have a general election before that, that will be the major test. Um, and I think those within the party are already forecasting that it, it won't be a great day for Fine Gael And it just is really dependent on how bad they do in those local elections. Um, because you have to factor in the fact that Sinn Féin lost almost a third of their seats in 2019. Um, they've transformed their fortune since then certainly in the general election and the way the polls are going now so you'd expect them to regain those seats and add more and that will have to be at the expense of someone and you have to point the finger to the two main parties to know what's really happening subscribe to the irish examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. No, sticking with the main parties just for a minute. Um, by contrast, Michal Martin appears to be doing well. I mean, if in the fall or up in the latest poll, his his satisfaction rating is relatively steady. And for somebody who, certainly for various lengths of time prior to him entering government over the last 10 years, appeared to be on shaky ground, he seems to be unassailable, I'd suggest, in Fianna Fáil at the moment. And from that point of view, some perceive him as being their biggest asset. So is there any question of him cutting and running, to put it that way, before the next election, because you'd have to think if he were to do so, wouldn't be good for Fianna Fáil. Yeah, and the biggest threat to Micheál Martin came shortly after this government was formed um, at that party conference down in Cavan, where there were rumours that people were moving to, to move to effectively stage a heave against him that never materialized and when that didn't happen it was seen like that was the the great opportunity missed and since then as you said Mick he's really performed uh, well as a leader uh, within the polls and I think most within Fianna Fáil would be saying that Micheál Martin will now stay there in the position as leader of the party until Fianna, until Micheál Martin wants to leave um and even his detractors would say that, that there isn't that appetite to change now. The one quibble I think that members would have with Micheál Martin at the moment is his satisfaction ratings are great, um, whereas the party is lingering and they're, they're up three in the latest poll to 21%, but still significantly lower than Micheál Martin's personal approval rating. And it's something that they're kind of a bit, perplexed by and um, because usually obviously the approval rating of the leader uh, would tally roughly with the party itself but there does seem to be that disjoint there certainly among the public that they see Fianna Fáil one way and Micheál Martin another way and um, so that could become an issue come election time now he is very strong on the ground if you meet him he's very personable and I think that was seen even in the 2020 general election campaign when he was out canvassing uh, the general public really are drawn to him and have a good view of him after meeting him. So perhaps he he may have to uh, carry a bit more of the load for the party if we were go- to go into a general election, given the fact that he does seem to have this uh, very high popularity uh, among the general public. But as you said, will he cut early? Uh, speculation has said that he will possibly be thinking of a role in Europe. That commissioner job is coming up uh, towards the middle of next year. Uh, it will be a Fianna Fáil position. Now, he's vehemently denied it, even as, as uh, soon or as uh, relatively close as this week, saying that he will lead his party into the next general election. Doesn't have any ambitions to go to Europe, but... We still have a few months left uh, before the autumn comes round and Ireland will have to put forward its nominees for that position. And we've seen how well uh, he's done in foreign affairs. He really enjoyed that role. Uh, he has a lot of links out in Europe. So uh, it's something I don't think that will be discounted until the very last minute. Yeah, and you mentioned that his um, satisfaction ratings is effectively out of sync with that of the party. And I think that's something that's been there for a while. But 
And as you say, Elaine, some people would have quibbles about that within the party. But can he be blamed for that? Or is it a question that in the public's perception, those around him, the other leading lights of the party, don't measure up as far as they're concerned? Well, I think it feeds into this narrative that Micheál Martin leaves alone and doesn't really include members of his parliamentary party. Uh, And, you know, there are a number of backroom members there, uh, strong allies of him, mainly unelected uh, members of the party, it has to be said, um, that are viewed as running the main Fianna Fáil machine. And it's perhaps not as front bench, not as ministers, and certainly not as backbenchers that are consulted around uh, major direction changes that the party take. Um, so maybe that's why people are getting so annoyed about the fact that he's at uh, one level and the party in general is at a lower level because it reflects what's actually happening in the party. Um, and, and maybe that translates out to the general public that voters see Micheál Martin as one entity and don't necessarily link him as strongly to Fianna Fáil as maybe Mary Lou MacDonald is Sinn Féin and Leo Varadkar is Fine Gael. So it may be an issue that does need to be tackled. Yeah, it's, it's just it's an interesting um dilemma that they have in that respect. No, you mentioned Sinn Féin earlier and uh, I hadn't thought of that actually, that is it possible that that drop is attributable to some who may have been of their traditional base losing a bit of faith now that they're moving closer to the centre. But that march to the centre, it, it, it is very noticeable. I mean, even in things like um, the Special Criminal Court, which I think is an obvious one, which I think people forget was always an issue for them to this extent. You'd have a lot of support for that court in some of the working class areas of the cities in particular for the simple reason that a lot of people in those communities have seen the sharp end of organised crime and how insidious it can be and the idea that it's very difficult to find juries that uh, couldn't be susceptible to intimidation, they'd appreciate that and therefore be in favour of it. Yet at the same time, their opposition to it, which personally I think has very little to do with anything of what you might call a high standard of civil liberties and more just with a hangover from the fact that its main purpose until recent decades was to imprison IRA personnel. But issues like that, they've definitely uh, changed. And I noticed that Social Democrats have gone up a few points. Now, people are attributing that to new leader Holly Cairns. But the thing that arises there, Elaine, I would have thought is we've sort of assumed that there's been seats that were there uh, because they'd be far more prepared and on the back of far greater popularity. But you see the way that uh, Social Democrats have come on, Labour's stuck in the doldrums a bit. That may not turn out that way. And I think maybe left-wing voters, the more Sinn Féin move to the centre, may not see Sinn Féin as what they uh, want in a party or a politician. And you may see the likes of even Solidarity PBP retain some of those uh, votes as a result. And you're right, Mick, like the, I think there has been a move from Sinn Féin. It's been a drip, drip feed and a gradual uh, journey on these issues, whether it's the Special Criminal Court, you know, they dropped their full opposition, they, were, they abstained uh, most recently. Mary Lou MacDonald was asked on Monday about this and uh, what way she would vote in the upcoming vote, because obviously there's a there's an annual vote on this issue. Um, 
and she said she wouldn't be commenting on how Sinn Féin will vote until they see the review of that Offences Against the State, State Act and the Special Criminal Court. And the review you speak about, as I understand it, a majority in that review have voted for retention, but a minority did say it should come to an end. Yeah, that review obviously is with the Minister now, but hasn't been published. Now, whether it's published before uh, this vote is called later on this month or not remains to be seen. And perhaps I think Sinn Féin might be hoping that it's not published because then they can say we'll abstain until we see the vote. Um, It may put them in a more stickier situation if the review is published and they do actually have to, to to call it and to decide what they're going to do in the Special Criminal Court. But there have been other areas, the likes of PESCO as well. So what's PESCO, sorry, Elaine, just for the, for the listeners? It, again, it's 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 this issue, it's a thorny issue, I suppose, around uh, the wider issue that we'll be talking about next week around neutrality as well uh, and our whether we sign up to NATO, um, all up for grabs and all up for discussion at that forum that's been arranged by the government um, next week. And I think it's it's among a number of areas that Sinn Féin had a very strong stance on and are now slightly moving towards the centre on. And I thought it was quite telling during those discussions on neutrality and this forum that will look uh, at issues, uh, cybersecurity and whether we remain a neutral country or whether we sign up perhaps to NATO. Um, that McCarthy got up in the doll and said that anything that was changed by this government or implemented by this government in those very controversial areas would be very hard or almost impossible for future governments to roll back on. So essentially, he was saying there that if the government decide to join NATO in the morning, Sinn Féin possibly in government next time round wouldn't roll back on that and we could stay in NATO. Now, the likelihood of that happening, especially in the next 18 months, I think is is very unlikely. But it's still an interesting stance. Um, and, you know, there are little kind of pieces being dropped every so often um, that don't seem significant uh, on their own. But when you bundle them all up, you do see a movement from Sinn Féin on a number of policies. Yeah, they're definitely going where they perceive the votes. I mean, they're, they're probably correct in that, but it is very interesting. They've come some journey in terms of the political spectrum in that respect over the last 20 years. One other element to Sinn Féin policy that I think is very interesting is climate change, and it's linked to what we were talking about there. I mean, I can see that individual politicians, the likes of um, Lynn Boyle and, and, and I suppose Darren O'Rourke, their, their spokesperson the Dáil, are genuine and passionate about climate. But beyond that, as far as I can see, Elaine, Sinn Féin are probably the worst offenders in terms of sitting on defence and in action in relation to climate. That was most obvious when they would not come out and say what exact percentage reduction of admissions there should be in the agriculture sector because they knew damn well that would offend somebody no matter what they said. And they have a bit of a problem there in that the kind of populism they're going for is grand, but if you're doing that, you're <laughs> you're stuck. You can't be unpopular in a big thing like this. And let's face it, no matter what's done in climate in the short term, it's going to be unpopular with some constituency. Yeah, and I don't think I'm saying anything controversial here by stating that Sinn Féin have been weak 
down the years and remain weak on the area of climate change. They focused on health, they focused on housing, um, and obviously the issue of a referendum on unity north and south of the border. But climate change, I think, has been something that has been seen as a non-issue for them, not something they're going to gain ground or gain voters on or gain uh, popularity around. So they've kind of left it there. And there hasn't been very much in the way of policy development uh, when it does come to climate issues. And going back to the bounce that Social Democrats got now that it obviously it was that Irish Times poll was the first poll since Holly Cairns came into the leadership role. So you'd expect a bit of a boost there. But more and more, I think uh, that Social Democrats have been raising climate issues in the doll. Holly Cairns herself just this week raising uh, the energy implications of all of these data centres that we now have around the country. Um, and it could be said that maybe. Uh, the Social Democrats are becoming greener than the Greens themselves and are saying maybe what the Greens might want to say if they were in opposition, but they're in a coalition now and perhaps have to swallow a bitter pill on some issues. Um, it's just the way coalitions work. But that that uh, the, the way that they're progressing green and environmental and climate change issues will certainly attract a younger generation who are really concerned and really see it as a top priority for them. Is there some bit of a disconnect or am I missing something in that we're all becoming far more aware of climate uh, and I think that goes to every generation but particularly younger generations yet the party for which climate is their main raison d'etre, the, the, the Greens, remain pretty unpopular. Now, I know that's the ongoing thing with rural Ireland, and that's a nebulous term of itself, but uh, sections of rural Ireland uh, in relation to green policy and that. But, you know, the, a lot of people are suggesting they could be even wiped out at the next election. And that just, to me, there seems to be uh, something's not adding up there. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that if you've seen it time and time again with the smaller parties that go into coalition, they often are the ones that fare the worst when it comes to the next poll. And as you said, are sometimes annihilated or else nearly killed off. It's happened before with the Greens, you mm. have to remember. It happened with Labour, um, who are still trying to recover from that coalition with Fine Gael. But I think when you get into government, unfortunately, you can't just shout from the sidelines and make demands. You have to be very cognizant of the fact that you're in there with two other larger parties who are coming at a lot of issues from a very different viewpoint. You know, if you look at Fine Gael, traditionally they would have been the party of the big farmer. Uh, they're obviously not going to be shouting up and down, uh, demanding a cull in the national herd or a, a significant reduction in the dairy herd. Um I think the Green Party will say that they've delivered a lot in government, um, even if they have been stymied slightly. They've they've pushed over the line the carbon budgets last year. Um, a lot, I think, in, a lot of people in the Green Party would say that never would have come to pass unless they were in government. Um, and they are legally binding now uh, targets that we have across all sectors. And as well, I think some social issues, perhaps childcare they'd see and the reduction in childcare fees in last year's budget, all of those things they'd see as Green Party stamps on what government is doing. But it does come back again. You have to point it out. Eamon Ryan, 
he's just one of those characters, I think, no matter what he says or does at this stage, he'll be pilloried over it, um, even if it's a good idea. I think if others had come out and said some of the things that he's previously perhaps got a lot of criticism and slack for, that uh, it wouldn't have been as big of an issue. I'm just thinking back even to the energy crisis and he advised people to drive slightly slower because you use less fuel, so therefore it would be cheaper to run your car. And that was almost laughed out of town, but it's factually correct and and people can save money by going slower, a few kilometres less, or reduce their speed by a few kilometres on the, on the roads. Um, you know, but I think it's, it's sometimes it's not the message, it's the messenger. And Eamon Ryan is one of those people that I think maybe it goes back to the wolves, the reintroduction of the wolves when he was in opposition um, that people maybe don't take him as seriously as others um, if they were saying the same thing. Yeah, I, I still think I, I, I admire the way he talks straight about issues not necessarily grappling to... Um, to be competitive in the political sense, which you see elsewhere, but I, th- there's definitely that out there. I think you're spot on there in terms of the way some people perceive him. Finally, Elaine, uh, a big issue that's not party political, but that started its work this week, and that is the Committee on Assisted Dying uh, under the chairmanship of one Michael Healy Ray. Now, they've kind of a relatively strict timeline in nine months. It is a major social issue. Um, would you perceive proposals for legislation that would change the existing law to whatever extent coming out of this at the end of it? Yeah, well, that committee will have to produce a report and you imagine there will be recommendations in it uh, when they do publish that report. We have a vast array of opinions um, on that uh, committee. The members certainly are not coming to it from the same side, um, which is healthy, I think, in, in those discussions that maybe all views will be heard. And you'd imagine as well in the witnesses that that committee calls, there will be varying views. Um, having said that, it's it's a very difficult subject. It's um, even when you get into the nitty gritty of it, um, how far do you go? Who do you class as being um, eligible for assisted dying? Um, You know, it sounds flippant, but how terminal do you have to be with a terminal illness? You know, some people are given a terminal diagnosis of two years. Others are given two days. And what is viewed as appropriate for someone to qualify for assisted dying? Um, And then a bit like abortion, I'm sure there will be some medics who are opposed to it and won't be offering services even if they are um, made legally available so I think this is a while to run and I'd imagine it's something that the government won't want to tackle ahead of a general election you may see them perhaps kick it into a citizens assembly um, or some other device maybe to lengthen out the time that is is taken to consider this fully but um, I think Gino Kenny he's he's the one who has been really fighting for this for a long time. Obviously, it was John Halligan, uh, former minister in the former government, uh, previous government, who first introduced this. So it's been knocking around Leinster House for a, a good many years now. 
But I think Gino Kenny said at that committee this week that the public are ahead of politicians around this issue. Um, and it may be the case uh, that they are. We've seen it as well previously with the Eighth Amendment and with marriage equality. But that doesn't mean the politicians will speed up their deliberation of this issue. Yeah, and I have to say, you, you mentioned him there, Gino Kenny of People for Profit have to give him great credit for at least ensuring and pursuing it to the point where this is an issue that has to be discussed and I'd also echo what you say in terms of the more I think about it, the less sure I am about whatever it is, one way or the other. And hopefully in that respect, for a large chunk of people, that um, elements that will be illuminated over the course of this committee hearing so that eventually some kind of a decision will be made. What exactly? We'll just have to wait and see. Elaine, that was great. Thanks very much for that. Um, Round the world in 80 days version of politics at the moment. Elaine Lachlan, our political editor here in the Irish Examiner, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks very much. I'd also like to, as always, thank our trusty engineer, JJ Vernon. And folks, thank you for listening. Take it easy during the week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.